Warning. Today's story is rated PG, but contains some scatology and unspeakable language. I don't mean it's profane, I mean it literally can't be spoken. Escape Pod 54 May 18, 2006 Today's story by David D. Levine Hello! Welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely, purveyor of evil. I should probably explain that bit. I had a wonderful time last Friday when I saw that Escape Pod had been linked by a blog called ShellyTheRepublican.com. In a post titled, Podcasts Part 2, Science Fiction or Satanic Fiction, Escape Pod is reviewed as, quote, nothing short of depraved filth. The author, one Tristan Shuttery, highlights a couple of our stories, including My Friend is a Lesbian Zombie, and, much weirder, Aliens Love Oranges. He rates our podcast on a Christian values scale known as the Cap Alert System, and claims that we score an 8.2 out of 100, which apparently makes us one of the horsemen of the apocalypse. He says, Eager for the next fix? Science fiction dealers know that they have to provide ever more disturbing fixes in order to keep their drug-addicted readers' attention. This escape pod is actually the start of a slippery slope towards eternal damnation. There's a lot more on those lines, and some really entertaining ranting in the comment threads. Now, before you all go racing to your keyboards, Shelley the Republican is a satire site. It's very good satire. I was totally taken in for a couple of hours, before I followed some links back and found evidence that the authors weren't taking it very seriously. Later on, the real guy behind the pen name Tristan Shuttery got in touch with me. I won't reveal his identity, but he's a genuine friend of Escape Pod. And he did get us a lot of hits on Friday. Even when I thought it was real, I wasn't angry, I was amused. I posted in a number of places, saying we'd just gotten our best review ever. It's good satire because it's believable. And it's believable because there really are people who feel this way. Again, I don't think that's worth getting angry about. I don't believe you solve conflicts of values by perpetuating a cycle of hatred where each side wants to erase the other's point of view. Although this article leaned towards the absurd, there are people in the past who have raised valid objections to Escape Pod's content. Some of those objections are why we rate our stories now, and why I've started putting warning tags in front of some of the stories. And it's why we have Escape Pod Classic. If you know your own tastes enough to be selective, or if you're careful about what you want your children to hear, I have nothing but respect for that. We only part company if you believe your taste should be mandated by law, and that entertainment that isn't part of your own values shouldn't be available anywhere. I disagree with that point of view, but I don't think it's a view that should be hated or dismissed. I'd rather see solutions that help people find material that's suited for them, and ignore the material that isn't. I think it's a sign of a healthy culture if everyone feels that some parts of it are alien to them. It's not something to be fought, it's something to be celebrated. Because we're all, every one of us, aliens to somebody else. And that may be one of my smoothest transitions ever to today's story. Which is good because the title of the story is, well, unpronounceable. We're proud to present the second of our series of Hugo nominees, by David D. Levine. This is a story about a man who really does need to connect with an alien culture. Mr. Levine lives in Portland, Oregon, and has published a couple of dozen short stories, and is a past winner of the Writers of the Future contest, the James White Award, and he's been nominated for the John W. Campbell Award, twice, and the Hugo Award, now twice. He and his wife are also the publishers of the celebrated fanzine Bento. This particular story, which I won't try to name again, was published in the March 2005 issue of Asimov Science Fiction. The story is read for us by Paul Tevis. Paul's the man behind the excellent Have Games Will Travel podcast, which covers role-playing games, board games, card games, and the people who make them. So please, have your passport and travel papers ready, and keep your translator on. It's story time. By David D. Levine Walker's voice recorder was a beautiful thing of aluminum and plastic, hard and crisp and rectangular. It sat on the waxy countertop, surrounded by the lumpy, excreted-looking products of the local technology. 
Unique selling proposition, he thought, and clutched the leather handle of his grandfather's briefcase as though it were a talisman. The shopkeeper said, and Walker's hypno-implanted vocabulary provided a translation. What a delightful object. Chitinous fingers picked up the recorder, scrabbling against the aluminum case with a sound that Walker found deeply disturbing. What does it do? It took him a moment to formulate a reply. Even with the hypno, was a formidably complex language. It listens and repeats, he said. You talk all day, and it remembers it all. Earth technology. Nothing like it for light years. The word for light year was difficult to pronounce. He hoped he'd gotten it right. Indeed, yes. Most unusual. The pink frills, or gills, at the sides of the alien's head throbbed. It did not look down. Its faceted eyes and necklace head made that impossible. But Walker judged its attention was on the recorder and not on himself. Still, he kept smiling and kept looking the alien in the eyes with what he hoped would be interpreted as a sincere expression. Such a unique object must surely be beyond the means of such a humble one as myself, the proprietor said at last. Such a humble one as myself. Walker could die a happy man if he never heard those syllables again. Focus on value, not on price. Think how useful, he hissed in reply. Never forget things again. He wasn't sure you could use things in that way, but he hoped it got the point across. Perhaps the honored visitor might wish to partake of a cup of thshisa. Walker's smile became rigid. Thshisa was a beverage nearly indistinguishable from warm piss. But he'd learned that to turn down an offer of food or drink would bring negotiations to an abrupt close. This humble one accepts your most generous offer, he said, letting the memorized syllables flow over his tongue. He examined the shopkeeper's stock as it prepared the drink. It all looked like the products of a sixth-grade pottery class, irregular clots of brown and gray. But the alien's biotech was far beyond Earth's. Some of these lumps would be worth thousands back home. Too bad he had no idea which ones. His expertise lay elsewhere, and he was here to sell, not buy. The shopkeeper itself was a little smaller than most of its kind, about 140 centimeters tall, mostly black, with yellow spine tips and green eyes. Despite its insectile appearance, it was warm-blooded. Under its chitin, it had bones and muscles and organs not unlike Walker's own, but its mind and culture were even stranger than its disturbing mouthparts. The cup of friendship, the alien said, offering a steaming cup of Walker suppressed a shudder as his fingers touched the aliens. Warm, covered with fine hairs, and slightly sticky. But he nodded politely and raised the cup to his lips. He sipped as little as he felt he could politely get away with. It was still vile. Very good, he said. Forty-five minutes later, the conversation finally returned to the voice recorder. Ownership of this most wondrous object is surely beyond price. Perhaps the honored guest would be willing to lend it for a short period. No trial period necessary. Satisfaction is guaranteed. He was taking a risk with that, he knew, but the recorder had never failed him in all the years he'd owned it. Tick-tick-tick, the alien said, tapping its mouthparts together. There was no translation for that in Walker's vocabulary. He wanted to throttle the thing. Couldn't it even stick to its own language? but he struggled not to show his impatience. After a pause, the alien spread a hand, a gesture that meant nothing to Walker. Perhaps the honored owner could be compensated for the temporary use of the property. Humbly requesting more details. A loan of this type is generally for an indefinite period. The compensation is, of course, subject to negotiation. You make offer? he interrupted. He realized he was not being as polite as he could be, but it was already late afternoon, and he hadn't eaten since breakfast. And if he didn't conclude the deal successfully, he might not have enough money for lunch. Tiketiketiko, again. Forty-three, it said at last. Walker seethed at the offer. He'd hoped to sell the recorder for enough to live on for at least a week, and his hotel alone, barely worthy of the name, cost twenty-seven a night. 
but he'd already spent most of the day trying to raise some cash, and this was the only concrete offer he'd gotten. Seventy? The alien's gills, normally in constant slight motion, stopped. Walker knew he'd offended it somehow, and his heart sank, but his smile never wavered. Seventy is a very inopportune number. To offer seventy to one of your exalted status would be a great insult. Damn these aliens and their obscure numerology. Walker began to sputter an apology. Seventy-three, on the other hand, the shopkeeper continued, is a number with an impeccable lineage. Would the honored guest accept compensation in this amount? He was so busy trying to apologize that he almost didn't recognize the counteroffer for what it was. But some salesman's instinct, some fragment of his father's and his grandfather's DNA, noticed it, and he managed to hiss out, This humble one humbly accepts your most generous offer, before he got in any more trouble. It took another hour before the shopkeeper actually counted the money, soft brown lumps like rabbit droppings, each looking exactly like the others, into Walker's hand. He passed his reader over them. It smelled the lumps and told him there were three seventeens, two nines, and a four, totaling seventy-three as promised. He sorted them into different pockets so he wouldn't accidentally give the luggage carrier a week's salary as a tip again. It angered him to be dependent on the Chocasti-made reader, but he would rather use alien technology than to try to read the alien's acrid pheromonal writing with his own nose. Walker pressed through the labia of the shop entrance into the heat and noise and stink of the street. Hard orange shafts of dusty late afternoon sun glinted dully on the scuttling carapaces of the populace. Little merchants and bureaucrats, big laborers and warriors, hulking mindless transporters. No cars, no autoplanes, just a rustling mass of aliens, chittering endlessly in their harsh, sibilant language, scraping their hard, spiny limbs and bodies against each other and the rounded, gourd-like walls. Here and there, a knot of two or three in conversation blocked traffic, which simply clamored over them. The aliens had no concept of personal space. Once, a swarm of juveniles had crawled right over him, a nightmare of jointed legs and chitinous bodies, and a bitter smell like rusty swamp water. They'd knocked his briefcase from his hand, and he'd scrambled after it under the scrabbling press of their bodies. He shuddered at the memory. Not only did the briefcase contain his most important papers, it had belonged to his grandfather. His father had given it to him when he graduated from college. He clutched his jacket tight at his throat, gripped his briefcase firmly under his arm, and shouldered through the crowd. Walker sat in the waiting room of his most promising prospect. To be blunt, his only prospect. A manufacturer of building supplies whose name translated as Amber Stone. Five days in transit, eight weeks in this bug-infested hellhole of a city, a 15-megabyte database of contacts from five different species, and all he had to show for it was one lousy, stinking customer. Potential customer at that. It hadn't signed anything yet. But Walker had been meeting with it every couple of days for two weeks, and he was sure he was right on the edge of a very substantial sale. All he had to do was keep himself on sight and on message. The light in the palm-colored windows shaded from orange to red before Amberstone finally appeared from its inner office. Ah, human. So very pleased that you would honor such a humble one as myself with your delightful presence. The aliens couldn't manage the name Walker, and even human came out more like Honor is mine, Amberstone. You read information I give you? Three days? Most intriguing, yes. Surely no finer literature has ever been produced. You have questions? Questions it did have. Yes, indeed. No end of questions. Who performed the translation? Where did you have it reproduced? Is it really as cold there as they say? Did you come through or by way of but no questions about the product. I'm building rapport with the customer, Walker thought grimly, and kept up his end of the conversation as best he could. Finally, Walker tried to regain control. Your business, it goes well? The customer said, and placed its hands on its shoulders. As the most excellent guests must surely have noticed, the days are growing longer. Walker had no idea what that might mean. Good business or bad, always need for greater efficiency. The honored visitor graces this humble one with the benefits of a unique perspective. 
Although the sweat ran down behind his tie, Walker felt as though he were sliding on ice, his words refusing to gain traction. My company's software will improve inventory management efficiency and throughput by 300% or more, he said, pulling out one of his best-memorized phrases. Alas, your most marvelous software is surely so far superior to our humble computers that no accommodation could be made. We offer a complete solution. Hardware, software, support. Fully compatible. Satisfaction guaranteed. Walker smiled, trying to project confidence. No, not just confidence. Love for the product. Was that an expression of interest? Most intriguing, yes. Most unique. Alas, sun is setting. It gestured to the windows, which had already faded from red to nearly black. This most humble one must beg the honored visitor's forgiveness for consuming so much valuable time. Is no problem. This one would not dream of insulting an honored guest in such a way. Please take your rest now, and honor this unworthy establishment with your esteemed presence again tomorrow. The alien turned and vanished into the inner office. Walker sat and seethed. Dismissed by a bug, he thought. How much lower can you sink? He stared into the scuffed leather surface of his briefcase as though he'd find the answer there. But it just sat there on his lap, pressing down with the hard-edged weight of two generations of successful salesmen. Although the sun had set, the street was still oppressively hot and still teemed with aliens. The yellow-green bioluminescent lighting made them look even stranger, more unnatural. Walker clutched his grandfather's briefcase to his chest as the malodorous crowd bumped and jostled him, spines catching on his clothing and hair. It didn't help his attitude that he was starving. He'd left most of his lunch on the plate, unable to stomach more than a few wriggling bites, and that had been hours ago. He'd hoped he'd been able to find something more palatable for dinner, but he wasn't very optimistic. It seemed so cruel of the universe to make travelers find food when they were hungry. But then, drifting between the sour and acrid smells of the bustling street, Walker's nose detected a warm, comforting smell. Something like baked potatoes. He wandered up and down the street, passing his reader over pheromone lines on the walls, advertising superlative chitin wax and Blue River Molt Fever Insurance. Finally, just as he was coming to the conclusion that the smell was a trick of his homesick mind, the reader's tiny screen told him that he had arrived at the Spirit of Life Vegetarian Restaurant. He hadn't even known that the language had the concept of vegetarian. But whatever it was, it certainly smelled good. He pushed through the restaurant's labia. The place was tiny and low-ceilinged, with a single, low, curving counter and five squatting posts. Only one of the posts was occupied, by a small brown alien with white spine tips and red eyes. It sat quietly, hands folded on the counter, in an attitude that struck Walker as contemplative. No staff was in evidence. Walker chose a post, placed his folded jacket on it as a cushion, and seated himself as comfortably as possible. His space at the counter had the usual indentation, into which his order would be ladled, and was equipped with a double-ended spoon, an ice pick, a twisty implement whose use he had yet to decipher, and a small bowl of water, which, he had learned to his great embarrassment, was for washing the fingertips, not drinking. But there was no menu. Menus were one of the most frustrating things about this planet. Most of the items listed on the pheromone-tracked planks were not in his reader's vocabulary, and for the rest, the translations were inadequate. How was he to know whether or not land crab in the northern style was something he would find edible? Time and time again, he had gone hungry, offended the server, or both. Even so, menus were something he understood. He had no idea what to order, or even how, without a menu to point at. He drummed his fingers on the countertop and fidgeted while he waited for the server to appear. Say what you like about these creatures, they were unfailingly polite and prompt. Usually. But not here, apparently. Finally, frustrated, he got up to leave. But as he was putting on his jacket, trying to steal himself for the crowd outside, he caught another whiff of that baked potato smell. He turned back to the other customer, still sitting quietly. No menu. No server. Hungry. Howl order. The alien did not turn. Sit quietly. With peace comes fulfillment. 
Its voice was a low susurration, not as harsh as most of the others he'd heard. With peace comes fulfillment. Walker opened his mouth for a sarcastic reply, but found his grammar wasn't up to the task. And he was hungry. And the food smelled good. So he took off his jacket and sat down again. He sat with back straight and hands folded, staring at the swirled brown and cream colors of the wall in front of him. It might have come from Amber Stone's factory, produced by a huge genetically modified life form that ate garbage and shat building supplies. He tried not to think about it too much. The alien's biotechnology made him queasy. Looking at the wall, he thought about what it would take to sell Amber Stone's products on Earth. They couldn't be any more comprehensible to him than the software he'd been sent here to sell, and as his father had always said, a good salesman can sell anything. Though with three failed jobs and a failed marriage behind him, he was no longer sure that description had ever really fit him. No matter, he was too old to change careers now. The most he could hope for now was to stay alive until he could afford to retire. Get off the treadmill, buy a little house in the woods, walk the dog, maybe go fishing. Walker's reverie was interrupted when the other customer rose from its squatting post and walked around the counter to stand in front of him. Greetings, it said. This one welcomes the peaceful visitor to the spirit of life. Walker sputtered. You... you... server? All serve the spirit of life, well or poorly, whether they understand it or not. This one serves food as well. The visitor is hungry... Yes! Walker's head throbbed. Was the alien laughing at him? Then this one will bring food. When peace is attained, satisfaction follows. It vanished through the door behind the counter. Walker fumed, but he tried to wait peacefully. Soon, the alien returned with a steaming pot and ladled out a portion into the indentation in front of Walker. It looked like chunks of purple carrot and pale yellow potato in a saffron-colored sauce, and it smelled wonderful. It tasted wonderful, too. A little strange, maybe. The purple carrots were bitter and left an odd aftertaste, but it had a complex flavor and was warm and filling. Walker spooned up every bit of it. Very good, he said to the server, which had returned to its previous station in front of the counter. How much? It spread its hands and said, this establishment serves the spirit of life. Any donation would be appropriate. It pointed to the glass jar on the counter, which contained a small pile of money. Walker considered. How much of his limited funds could he spare? Yesterday's lunch had cost him five and a half. This place, and the food, were much plainer. But this was the single best meal he'd eaten in weeks. Finally, he chose a seven from his pocket, scanned it with his reader to make sure, and dropped it in the jar. This one thanks the peaceful guest. Please return. Walker gave an awkward little bow, then pushed through the restaurant's labia into the nightmare of the street. Walker waved his room key, a twisted brown stick reeking with complex pheromones, at the hotel desk clerk. Key no work, he said. No let me in. The clerk took the key, ran its fingers over it to read the codes. Ah, yes, this most humble one must apologize. Starts tomorrow. What is Ah, yes, this humble one has been so unkind as to forget that the most excellent guest is not familiar with the poor customs of this humble locale. Is a religious political holiday a small and insignificant celebration by our guests' most elevated standards, to be sure. So why it not work? The key. Humble though it may be, is very important to the poor folk of the outlying regions. They come to the city in great numbers. This humble room has long been promised to such as these, and surely the most honored guest does not wish to share it. No. The room was tiny enough for Walker alone, and he didn't want to find out how some of the equipment in the toilet room was used. Indeed. So this most humble establishment, in a poor attempt to satisfy the most excellent human guest, has moved the guest's belongings to another room. 
It held out a new key, identical in appearance to the old one. Walker took the key. Where is? Three levels down. Most cozy and well protected. The new room was larger than the old one, having two separate antechambers of unknown function. But the rounded ceiling was terribly low. Though Walker could stand straight up in the middle of the room, he had to crouch everywhere else. And the lighting was dim, the heat and humidity desperately offensive, and everything in the room stank of the aliens. He lay awake for hours, staring into the sweltering darkness. In the morning, he discovered that his shaver and some other things had vanished in the move. When he complained at the front desk, he got nothing but effusive, meaningless praise. Oh yes, the most wonderful guest must be correct, our criminal staff is surely at fault, and a bill for the previous night's stay. 383? The usual rate for our highest quality suite is 561. This most inadequate establishment has already offered a substantial reduction, out of respect for the highly esteemed guest and the unfortunate circumstances. Highest quality suite? Too hot! Too dark! Too low! Ah, yes! The most excellent guest has unique tastes. Alas, this poor room is considered the most preferential in all the hotel. The heat and light are praised by our other sadly unenlightened customers. These most lowly ones find it comforting. I not have so much money. You take interstellar credits? Bank draft? The clerk's gills stopped pulsing and it drew back a step, going... Surely this humble one has misheard the honored guest, for to offer credit during would be a most grave insult. Walker licked his lips. Although the lobby was sweltering hot, suddenly he felt chilled. Can pay after holiday? He would have to find some other source of local currency. If the most honored visitor will please be patient. The clerk vanished. Walker talked with the front desk manager, the chief hotelier, and the th- whatever that was. But behind the miasma of extravagant politeness was a cold, hard wall of fact. He would pay for the room, he would pay in cash, and he would pay now. This establishment extends its most sincere apologies for the honored guest's unfortunate situation, said the th- which was dark yellow with green spine tips and eyes. However, in this most humble city, payment for services rendered is required by both custom and law. Walker had already suffered from the best the city had to offer. He was terrified of what he might find in a local jail. I no have enough money. What can I do? Perhaps the most honored guest would consider temporarily lending some personal possessions to the hotel? Walker remembered how he had sold his voice recorder. Lend? For indefinite period? The honored guest is most direct and forthright. Walker thought about what they might want that he could spare. Not his phone, or his reader. Interest in clothes? Shoes? The highly perceptive guest will no doubt have noticed that the benighted residents of this city have not yet learned to cover themselves in this way. Walker sighed and opened his briefcase. Mostly papers. Worthless, or confidential, or both. Paper fastening device, he said, holding up his stapler. Earth technology! Nothing like it for 65 light years. Truly, such an item is unique and irreplaceable, said the thief. To accept the loan of this fine device would bring shame upon this humble establishment. However, the traveling box. Not understanding. The thief touched the scuffed leather of Walker's briefcase. This traveling box. It is most finely made. Walker's chest tightened. This humble object, uh, only a box, not worth anything. The surface has a most unusual and sublime flavor, 
and the texture is unlike anything this unworthy one has touched. Desperately, Walker dug under his papers for something. Anything else. He found a pocket umbrella. This, a folding rain shield. Most useful. Same technology used in expanding solar panels. The honored visitor's government would surely object to the loan of such sensitive technology. But the traveling box is, as the visitor says, only a box. Its value and interest to such a humble one as myself are far greater than its value to the exalted guest. Walker's fingernails bit into his palms. Box has... personal value. Egg parents' egg parent used it. How delightful! For the temporary loan of such a fine and significant object, this establishment might be willing to forgive the most worthy visitor's entire debt. It's only a briefcase, Walker thought. It's not worth going to jail for. But his eyes stung as he emptied it out and placed its contents in a cheap extruded carry bag. Unshaven, red-eyed, Walker left the hotel carrying all his remaining possessions, a suitcase full of clothes and the carry bag. He had less than a hundred in cash in his pockets and no place to spend the night. Harsh sunlight speared into his eyes from a flat blue sky. Even at this hour of the morning, the heat was already enough to make sweat spring from his skin, and the streets swarmed with aliens, more of them in greater variety and more excited than he had ever seen before. A group of five red and black laborers, each over two and a half meters tall, waded through the crowd singing, or at least chattering rhythmically in unison. A swarm of black juveniles crawled over them in the opposite direction, flinging handfuls of glittering green rings into the air. All around, aliens large and small spun in circles, waving their hands in the air. Some pounded drums or wheedled on high-pitched flutes. A yellow merchant with black spines grabbed Walker's elbows and began spinning the two of them around, colliding with walls and with other members of the crowd. The merchant chattered happily as they spun, but its words were lost in the maelstrom of sound that surrounded them. Let go! Let go! Walker shouted, clutching his suitcase in his bag as he tried to squirm away. But the merchant couldn't hear, or wasn't listening, and its chitinous hands were terribly strong. Finally, Walker managed to twist out of the merchant's grasp, only to spin away and collide with one of the hulking laborers. Its unyielding spines tore Walker's jacket. The laborer stopped chanting and turned to face Walker. It grasped his shoulders, turned him side to side. "'What are you?' it shouted. Its breath was fetid. "'Visitor from Earth!' Walker shouted back, barely able to hear himself. The laborer called to its companions, which had moved on through the crowd. They fought their way back, and the five of them stood around him, completely blocking the light. "'This one is a visitor from Heath,' said the first laborer. One of the others grabbed a handful of green rings from a passing juvenile, scattered them over Walker's head and shoulders. They watched him expectantly. "'Thank you,' he said, but that didn't seem to be what they wanted. The first laborer cuffed Walker on the shoulder, sending him reeling into one of the others. "'The visitor is not very polite,' it said. The aliens loomed close around him. "'This most humble one begs the honored one's forgiveness,' Walker chattered out, clutching his carry bag to his chest, wishing for the lost solidity of his grandfather's briefcase. But the laborers ignored his apology and began to twirl him around, shouting in unison. After a few dozen spins, he made out the words of the chant. "'Rings! Dance! Rings! Dance!' Desperately, not at all sure he was doing the right thing, he tried to dance in circles as he had seen some of the aliens do. The laborers pulled the bag from Walker's hands and began to stomp their feet. Rings! Dance! Rings! Dance! Walker waved his arms in the air as he spun, chanting along with them. His breath came in short pants, destroying his pronunciation. He twirled, gasping, Rings! Dance! until he felt the hot sun on his head, and twirled a while longer until he understood what the sun meant. The laborers, and their shade, had deserted him. He was spinning for no reason, in the middle of a crowd that took no notice. He stopped turning and dropped his arms, weaving with dizziness and relief. But the relief lasted only a moment. Sudden panic seized him as he realized his arms were empty. There was the carry bag, just a meter away, 
lying on the dirt surrounded by chitinous alien feet. He plowed through the crowd and grabbed it before he got too badly stomped. But though he searched for an hour, he never found the suitcase. Walker leaned, panting, against the outside wall of Amberstone's factory. He had fought through the surging streets for hours, hugging the bag to his chest under his tightly buttoned jacket to reach this point. Again and again he'd been sprinkled with green rings and had danced in circles, feeling ridiculous, but not wanting to find out what might have happened if he refused. He was hot and sweaty and filthy. The still damp pheromone line drawn across the office's labia read, Closed for Walker covered his face with his hands. Sobs as thick as glue clogged the back of his throat, and he stood with his shoulders heaving, not allowing himself to make a sound. The holiday crowd streamed past like a river of blackberry vines. Eventually, he recovered his composure and blew his nose, patting his waist as he pocketed the sodden handkerchief. His money belt, with those two hard little rectangles of his passport and return ticket, was still in place. All he had to do was walk to the transit gate, and he could return home, with nothing to show for his appallingly expensive trip. But he still had his papers, his phone, and his reader, and his one prospective customer. It was everything he needed to succeed, as long as he didn't give up. I might have lost your briefcase, Grandpa. He said aloud in English, but I'm not going to lose the sale. A passing juvenile paused at the odd sound, then continued with the rest of the crowd. Walker would never have believed he'd be glad to see anything on this planet, but his relief when he entered the Spirit of Life vegetarian restaurant was palpable. The city's tortuous streets had been made even more incomprehensible by the crowds, and he had begun to doubt he would ever find it, or that it would be open on the holiday. He had been going in entirely the wrong direction when he had found the address by chance, on the pheromone map at the nearby intersection. How long, he asked the server, once he'd eaten. It was the same server as before, brown with white spine tips. It stood behind the counter, its hands folded on its thorax, in a centered and imperturbable stance. One day, it replied, though some believe the spirit of should be felt in every heart all year long. Walker suppressed a shudder at the thought. Business is open tomorrow? Most of them, yes. Some trades take an extended holiday. Building supplies? Walker's anxiety made him sputter the word. They will be open. The most honored visitor is perhaps planning a construction project? No. He laughed weakly, a sound that startled the server. Selling, not buying. The visitor is a most intriguing creature. The server's shoulders returned to the horizontal. This humble one wishes to help, but does not know how. This one seeks business customers. The server knows manufacturers, inventory controllers, enterprise resource management specialists, the guest's words are in the th- language, but alas, this one does not understand them. To apologize, very specialized business. The server lowered itself smoothly, bringing its face down to Walker's level. Its gills moved like seaweed in a gentle current. Business problems are not this one's strength. Is the honored visitor having troubles with family? It took Walker a moment to formulate his response. No. Egg parent, brood parent, deceased. This one, no egglings. Brood partner, departed. For a moment, he forgot who or what he was talking to. This one spent too much time away from nest. Brood partner found other egg partner. He fell silent, lost in memory. The server stood quietly for a moment, leaving Walker to his thoughts. After a while it spoke. It is good to share these stories. Undigested stories cause pain. Thanking you. This humble one is known as Shining Sky. If the visitor wishes to share further stories, please return to this establishment and request this one by name. When Walker left the Spirit of Life, the sun had already set. The crowds had thinned, 
with just a few revelers still dancing and twirling under the yellow-green streetlights. So Walker was relatively unimpeded as he walked to hotel after hotel. Alas, they all said, this humble one apologizes most profusely, no room for the most honored visitor. Finally, exhausted, he found a dark space between buildings. Wrapping his jacket around the carry bag, he placed it under his head. As a pillow, and for security. He'd grab a few hours sleep and meet with the customer first thing in the morning. He slept soundly until around dawn, when the first hot light of day struck his face. He squinted and rolled over, then awoke fully at the sensation of the hard alley floor under his head. The bag was not there. He sat up, wide-eyed, but his worst fears were confirmed. His jacket and his bag were nowhere to be seen. Panicked, he felt at his waist. His passport and return ticket were safe. But his money, his papers, his phone, and his reader were gone. Ah, human, said Amberstone. Once again, the most excellent visitor graces this unworthy establishment. It was late in the morning. Robbed of street signs, addresses, and maps by the loss of his reader, Walker had wandered the streets for hours in search of the factory. Without the accustomed weight of his briefcase, he felt as though he might blow away on the next breeze. "'You requested I come yesterday,' Walker hissed. "'I come. Factory closed. Come again today. Very important.' Even without the papers from his briefcase, he could still get a verbal commitment, or at least a strong expression of interest, some tiny tidbit of achievement to prove to his company, his father, his grandfather, and himself that he wasn't a complete loss. Surely the superlative guest has more important appointments than to meet with this insignificant one. No, Amberstone is most important appointment. Urgent, we discuss purchase of software. This groveling one extends the most sincere apologies for occupying the exalted guest's time, and will not delay the most esteemed one any further. It turned to leave. This most humble one begs the honored one's forgiveness. Amberstone spoke without turning back. One who appears at a merchant's establishment, filthy, staggering, and reeking of sheep rings, is obviously one whose concerns are so exalted as to be beyond the physical plane. Such a one could not be distracted from its duties, which are surely incomprehensible to mere mortals. Walker's shoulders slumped in defeat, but then it was though he heard his father's voice in his inner ear. Ask for the sale. Walker swallowed, then said, would the honored Amber Stone accept indefinite loan of inventory management system from this humble merchant? The alien paused at the threshold of its inner office, then turned back to Walker. If that is what the most exalted one desires, this simple manufacturer must surely pay heed. Would 53 million be sufficient compensation for the loan of a complete system? Stunned, Walker leaned against the wall. It was warm and rounded, and throbbed slightly. Yes, he said at last. Yes. Sufficient. Where the hell have you been, Walker? Your phone's been offline for days, and you look like shit! Gleason, Walker's supervisor, didn't look very good himself. His face on the public phone's oval screen was discolored and distorted by incompatibilities between the alien and human systems. I've been busy. He inserted Amberstone's data nodule into the phone's receptor. Gleason's eyes widened as the contract came up on his display. Yes, you have! This is great! Thanks. Gleason's enthusiasm could not penetrate the shell of numbness around Walker's soul. Whatever joy he might have felt at making the sale had been drowned by three days of negotiations. This will make you the salesman of the quarter! And the party's tomorrow night! The end of the quarter party. He thought of the bluff and facile faces of his fellow salesmen, the loudish jokes and cheap congratulations of every other EOQ he'd ever attended. Would it really be any different if his name was the one at the top of the list? And then to return to his empty apartment, and to go out the next day to start a new quarter from zero. Sorry, Walker said. I can't make it. That's right, what am I thinking? It's gotta be at least a five-day trip with all the transfers. 
Look, you give me a call whenever you get in. You got my home number? It's in my phone. Wherever that was. Okay, well, I gotta go. See you soon. He sat in the dim, stuffy little booth for a long time. The greenish oval of the phone screen looked like a pool of stagnant water, draining slowly away, reflecting the face of a man with no family, no dog, no little house in the woods. And though he might be the salesman of the quarter today, there would be a lot of quarters between here and retirement, and every one of them would be just as much work. Eventually came the rap of chitinous knuckles on the wall of the booth, and a voice. This most humble one begs the worthy customer's forgiveness. Other customers desire to use the phone. The booth cracked open like a seed pod. Walker stuck out his head, blinking at the light, and the public phone attendant said, Ah, most excellent customer. This most unworthy one trusts your call went well? Yes. Most well. The price of the call is 263 Walker had about six in cash in his pants pockets. The rest had vanished with his jacket. He thought a moment, then dug in his money belt and pulled out a tiny plastic rectangle. What is this? Ticket to Earth. An interstellar transit ticket? To Earth? Surely this humble one has misheard. Interstellar. To Earth. This is worth thousands. Yes. Then, in English, he said, Keep the change. He left the attendant sputtering in incomprehension behind him. The man was cursing the heat and the crowds as he pushed through the restaurant's labia in from the street, but when he saw Walker, he stopped dead and just gaped for a moment. Jesus, he said at last in English. I thought I was the only human being on this godforsaken planet. Walker was lean and very tan. His salt-and-pepper hair and beard were long but neatly combed, and he stood with folded hands in an attitude of centered harmony. He wore only a short white skirt. Greetings, he said, in the language, as he always did. This one welcomes the peaceful visitor to the spirit of life. What are you doing here? The English words were ludicrously loud and round. Walker tapped his teeth together, making a sound like before he replied in English. I am serving food. The sound of it tickled in his mouth. On this planet, I mean. I live here. But why did he come here? Why the hell did you stay? Walker paused for a moment. I came to sell something. It was an Earth thing. The people here didn't need it. After a while, I understood, and stopped trying. I've been much happier since. He gestured to one of the squatting posts. Please, seat yourself. I, uh... I think I'll pass. You're sure? The thishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishish
Experts agree that playtime can be just as vital as classroom time to a child's social, emotional, and educational development. So if you think it's about more than a game of hopscotch, it's time to speak up. For more information on Rescuing Recess, go to www.pta.org. Or rescuingrecess.com, because recess isn't just child's play. A little bit more sight news. I mentioned last week in passing that with Mer Lafferty's help, we're starting to offer more genre-specific news and text form on the Escape Pod blog. We haven't heard much for or against it. If you subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or another podcasting client, you might not even have noticed. So I just want to make sure you know that it's there. You can go to escapepod.org and read our past postings, or hit our podcast feed with any regular news client. On a closely related note, we've decided it's about time to start thinking about a site redesign. Not a total reinvention, but just something to make our content and features clearer and easier to find. One thing the team could really use right now is a sharp web designer with some time, strong CSS foo, and a good sense of fun. We can't pay much, but we'll figure out how to reward you for it. If you're interested, please drop a line to editor at escapepod.org and let us know a little about you and where we can look at some examples of your stuff. One bit of feedback this week. Mike, who's a first lieutenant in the Air Force, says, I just wanted to tell you that I really enjoy Escape Pod. I am unable to subscribe to your podcast since my only internet connection is at work. I'm in the Air Force. And podcast software is strictly verboten. I am, however, able to directly download the MP3 files, so it works out. We had to do a little tech support to make sure he could download all of our files. If you're in a similar position, please drop me a line. Also, if you're in the military, any country's military, and you'd like a copy of our Escape Pod Collection 1 CD, or the Collection 2 CD when it's ready in a few weeks, I'll be happy to provide them for free. Speaking of the CDs, we're still getting a few requests for them. And if you've asked me about it the last two or three months, I'm going to finally be getting those out to you. I'm sorry again about the delays. We've also learned lessons from this, and the Collection 2 CD is going to take a much more organized, more business-like approach. I'll have more to say about that in early June, so stay tuned. Oh, and finally, if your name is Tom and your birthday is on May 23rd, your daughter Anna wishes you a very happy birthday. And so do I. Escape Hot is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated, and it's released on a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no-derivatives license. If you love something, let it go. Just don't sell it or change it. All other rights are reserved by our authors. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju, four men in kabuki masks, powering the world with monster surf rock. Possibly even this world. And that was our show for this week. I'll close with a quote from Descartes, who said... Whenever anyone has offended me, I try to raise my soul so high that the offense cannot reach it. We'll see you next week, and have fun. <laughs>